Today's episode is brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. Head on over to www.palehorsemedia.co for more of your favorite shows, books, and merch. I have two brand new releases for you over at Pale Horse Media Co. The first one, In His Name, My First Dive Into Fiction. It is just a fun, cool thriller if you're into that kind of sort of thing. And and we have the second expanded edition of the original, of the OG Safety Sucks, the bullshit and the safety profession they don't tell you about. I go through, I expand on some thoughts, add some bonus material, reflect on some of the chapters. So if either of those sound like things you should be interested in, again head over to www.palehorsemedia.co CO or find them on your Amazon marketplace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support of the books of the podcast of the merch store of everything. It truly means the world to us. This, this, this show is brought to you by safety FM. Today's episode is brought to you by obscured the pursuit of of Radical Self-Acceptance, my second book. Go check it out at obscuredbook.com for more. You can pick up a copy of Obscured, Safety Sucks. You can tune into the new, latest and greatest podcast that we have. Really, I guess I'll say effing, effing scary stories. Really effing scary stories. All over at Pale Horse Media Co. Head over to palehorsemediaco.com. That's P-A-L-E horsemediaco.com for publishing, indie books, podcasts, and more. I think a really good place to start is by saying that we just recorded like 20 minutes of podcast. And I just found out that Ian's mic was not working, and I'm sure that it was due to error on my part. <laughs> Freaking human error. Oh, Can you I believe know. it? <laughs> yeah, we, we, we were having a good uh, good discussion, too. I was pretty happy with where, where we were going. Not entirely sure what happened there, but you yeah. know, we'll make do. We'll, 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 we'll pick up back where we left off. It's okay. Well, so I'll, I've got to start, I think, where we started with the original recording, and to say this, that uh, number one, welcome. Thank you for coming back. We just hung out the other night, which is some of what we were chatting about. We hung out for a few hours and recorded 100%. some stuff over on the really effing scary stories side of the podcast, on the side of that podcasting house, on that side of the studio, yep. I guess. Uh, and as we were talking about that, um, it, we brought up the fact that you just started a podcast. I did. And, and I say just started, but you're like five or six episodes in, so it's not really... I can't say that's just started when you, I think you turn out like six episodes in like a day, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I started a podcast called Native Film Talk. It's uh, natives about, natives talking about natives in film. So I, I was trying to honestly look for a voice out there that was talking about native film because I came across like Parasite. It's pretty recent. If you've seen it, there's some native representation in there. And I'm like, I wonder if anyone's talked about that. And I found there was no podcast anywhere that talked about it. And I was like, well, there's a void I can fill and. Sam is always encouraging about starting a podcast, and so I just decided to give him a call, and he helped me out with a few things, and yeah, we, we got up there, and now we got six episodes, well, five episodes, the sixth one coming out this uh, Saturday, so I've, I've, I've tried to do a movie, an episode, and just talk about representation in film, and my experience, my perspective watching it, and um, I think part of it, too, is just like, it's okay to like some bad movies that have some poor representation, but also to point it out, you know, like, uh, yeah. so I've done Pocahontas, uh, Parasite, um, I talked about uh, the 1973 Oscars where Marlon Brando uh, rejected the Oscar, and uh, The Last of the Mohicans comes out this Saturday. 
Nice, man. Yeah. So I've, I've got to say, it's, it's really good, number one. People should go follow along with it. It's just, just very well-produced podcast, amazing bits of information. And even farther, um, your Instagram is like this really cool supplemental piece that goes with the podcast. And I'll, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. That So it's it's way beyond anything we do here. I'm entirely too lazy <laughs> to, to do something like that. But it's so cool because I'll see the stuff and like I'll go through and I'll listen to the podcast. And then as, as I'm doing stuff for the Hot Nerd Instagram, I'll see where you've like posted something like like the story about Marlon Brando and that little piece that you'd posted on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's cool. Like there's there's the visual of that. That's a nice little supplement to this, yeah. to this podcast. And I'm going, well, how freaking cool. So if... It's really cool to I'm, – I'm saying that if you need to follow both. You need to definitely follow the podcast, but you need to go follow along on Well, on I appreciate the that. Well. The, the, you know, in the process of doing the episodes, I research kind of the cast. I look at the cast, and if, it, if it's like heavy native representation, like did they – how accurately was the casting? And then you look at the history behind, you know, the script. What was the director trying to convey when they were um, putting natives on the film? And then, I, I you know, so I watched the movie uh, right before I do the episodes – take a bunch of notes, talk about the plot, um, costume design, and then just look at a bunch of the, you know, the tropes that are explored in there. And in the process of doing that, you just find some fun facts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like for Last of the Mohicans, there were 900 Native American actors hired for that film, and they put them in these, like, barracks in North Carolina. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember exactly That's what so state crazy. park it is, but they, they filmed the entire thing in North wow. Carolina. And wow. um, even though it was supposed to be New York, yeah. Michael Mann was like, "This is a better setting. Let's, right. let's, let's, let's uh, set up like an army barracks and just we'll yeah. house all yeah. all the actors here." Yes. So yeah. Well, you always love that one. It's like this is you know it's showing this beautiful scene in the South, right? And then you'll get to the end of the movie, just like filmed in Canada. Well, and so this is this is a rumor too. I think the reason why they filmed in North Carolina it's a right to work state. So I think uh, they you. really wanted to. They really wanted to make sure they got everything out of their actors. <laughs> there actually was a strike on that show, oh, wow. on, the, on that movie, because of just poor treatment, long yeah. hours, you know. So they had to renegotiate. They had to craft a contract and then, you know. Wow, wow. <laughs> well, and let me ask you this. Um, when it comes to um, accurate representation of indigenous people in Hollywood, in, in film, how often do folks – how often does Hollywood get it right, I guess is the right way to put it? Well, I think right, right unfortunately, is a relative scale for some people. I know mm-hmm. for me, just as a Navajo person, mm-hmm. it, it's gotten much better. I mean, especially when there's native directors behind the camera. You know, there's real famous ones like Smoke Signals and less famous ones like Skins. But also there's like, uh, you know, even Last of the Mohicans, there's a lot they got right with that. Michael Mann did a great job in, you know, really cr- trying to be historically accurate. Um, there's still some stuff that was in there that's just like, well – I don't really know why he did that, um, but I, I I think when there's when there's intent, you gotta you gotta respect that, you know. And I think that's something I try to recognize in the movie or in the podcast when I review these movies. Yeah, very cool, man. Very cool. So we've we've got to talk about um, native film talk, which is mm-hmm. cool. We got to hang out for like three hours the other night recording stuff about really creepy stories. How'd you sleep after the podcast, by the way? I slept great. Okay, good. So, so no, no. Nope, nothing. Nothing uh, came and got me. Okay, I'm okay. No, no paranormal activity. Nothing, no. nothing creepy going on. I Very, did sleep with the hallway light on, which I never <laughs> do, in, though. I will. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> just in case. So if you haven't listened to that one, it, it's out. So you should, you should go back and listen to that one over on the really scary story side of stuff. But we talked about scary stuff. We've talked about... Um, native film talk and now we get to talk about safety right so that's gonna be pretty good man and 
even beyond that, we were chatting before about what we wanted to dive into, and we're going to dive into WTF is a safety professional. Mm-hmm. And so what the fun, <laughs> what the fun, <laughs> what the fun, yeah. what the fuck is a safety professional anyways, right? Yeah. And I think we find ourselves asking ourselves that question. And I think our, our, the industries that we serve and the organizations that we find ourselves in, we, we see that question presented pretty frequently. At least for us. And I, yeah. well, and, and just for the organizations too, because uh, we've talked about, or you've talked about this at length before, just how, um, the safety descriptions you talk about this in safety sucks mm. the descriptions of a safety pro is all over the place yeah and they're never updated so even when you do get hired your your job responsibilities rarely ever match what was on the board yeah you know and then so you're just and i, I like how you say it, it's the, the the junk drawer really yeah. you know after an incident you're like, oh, I didn't know I needed to know ICS. I didn't know I'm now incident command. I didn't know you wanted me to be EMT basic, but yeah. uh, here I am. And I didn't realize that uh, you wanted me to be, gosh, I don't know, like the emergency <laughs> manager as well. Right. You know, it's just there's just so many responsibilities that you have to take on, uh, be the PR person, you know, all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. It's just, it's unfair. It's, it's wacky. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's wacky the amount of stuff that you find yourself taking on as a practitioner. Um and for me, it's this, that the definition of what a safety practitioner is has grown into this monstrous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really that it's, it looks like this kind of hodgepodge of various different roles without, throughout the organization that we've kind of taken and just kind of crammed together into this big, long definition or, or roles and responsibilities document that's just become so monstrous that it's vague. Right, and it kind of seems to be used after the fact to say, "Well, see this thing where it says and other responsibilities." The thing, <laughs> the thing that you should have done to prevent that incident was in that other's responsibilities, <laughs> right? So I think where I'm going with that is the fact that really we have this gigantic, massive, bloated thing of what we think a safety professional is supposed to do, when really, in fact, there is no true definition. We haven't taken the time uh, to really define what a practitioner really is. No, we haven't. Right? And within the organizations too, like they don't. It sucks, too, when you think you're on the same plane and Mm -hmm. you think you guys have the same idea of what a safety pro is uh, when times are good, when there's no incidents, when there's no uh, audit findings, when there's nothing, you know. But then usually in the reaction to something, you'll see where things really are um, and you'll see how disconnected your definitions are. And I think that's it's the worst time to find out. But usually that is when you find out that like, oh, you want me to be just a doer you know you don't want me to go out and think and craft about how to improve our you know our culture and try to make processes better like you just want me to be an audit finder fixer yeah just a fixer fixer yeah and i think that's often where where we see that kind of come into play um as you kind of mentioned you know post incident post post any not so great thing happening right anything that's unexpected right we kind of see that kind of safety fix it effect Mm -hmm. take place where it's you know, it's as the as your executive team is walking into one of your locations and they see, hard air quotes, um, poor human behavior. Oh. I observed this safety professional. How did you not see this? I'm tasking you with ensuring that this behavior is not happening at this facility anymore. As a safety person, that makes you feel like, like. Like you're worthless, you know. Like right. they, they, they really. Well, I think that's the point. That's they, what they're going they, for. They can really, they can really make you feel it's like so small when they do that. They're like, "How can I, 
Well, one, you're sitting at your desk, which I never want to see you do, mm-hmm. um, despite all of the paperwork and burden, <laughs> yeah. like like administrative burden I pile on you. Um, I never want to see you at your desk, and while you're out there, you better catch something that really you better catch something that's going to hurt somebody did you save a life today yeah and 100 percent. and i'd better not see something that you didn't right and and they don't hesitate to point that out and what am i paying you for if not for that yeah and it's just like my 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 expertise i say expertise but my one of the things i'm real knowledgeable in is fall protection Mm -hmm. so there's like fall protection things that i'll see that i would say Maybe a handful of people in the company that could recognize, like the minuscule things, you know, right. unless you're like an inspector. And so that's like my area that I really take pride in. But then there's other things like lockout, tagout that I'm just, what you know, I just know enough to get by. Yeah. And yeah. but like an operations manager will come by and point out a deficiency in lockout, tagout. And yeah, just like, how oh. ah, the heck did you miss that <laughs> safety guy? You know, <laughs> or I feel like I, gosh, they want us to be all knowing, you know, you well, know. It's 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 wacky though because the the safety practitioners often elevated to the position of um, safety guru, right? Mm-hmm. Um, safety prophet, right? Almost F elevated to this point, but then the same kind of group of folks that want to elevate the practitioner to that level also want to undercut the ability and knowledge of the practitioner simultaneously, right? Right? And go, I want you to be all knowing and a guru, but look how stupid you were. Yeah. <laughs> Right, it's and, kind. Of, it's kind of. It's kind of both simultaneously. It's a really weird dynamic that I think you see manifest in some of these folks. Well, and usually you'll see that and in, permeate into other departments too, mm-hmm. where little engineers will probably say the same thing, where they're right. you know they're put on the pedestal in one day, and then the other they're treated like they don't know anything, and like uh, right. why the heck do I pay you? So it's usually cro- across sure. the organization sure. they have that. But where where it gets squirrely, like with safety, is. You're never consistently valued in the same way. Like it's, it's so interesting. It's like very much like a "What have you done for me lately?" thing. Like they they will uh, wipe the slate clean of you of all the great things that you've done in the past. You know, however long you've been there for something that seemingly you should have caught. Yeah. You know, and like what? a like a trip hazard. Like somebody trips over. You know, a uh, elevated. You know, a, a shift in like let's say a mm-hmm. cement pad. Yeah. And you know, just over time, it shifted to the point where it's a tripping hazard and everyone just kind of steps over it, even though it's a main walkway. Sure. Somebody trips over that, you know, uh, chips a tooth. There you breaks go. Breaks a wrist. Safety guy. Now it's on. What the heck? <laughs> we got, we got, you know, I got a budget that will pay for thousands of dollars worth of spray paint. You couldn't just go out there and spray paint that thing? Exactly. Well, and I think, I think it's this, it's that. You know, especially in the eyes of, of leaders, leadership, especially executives mm-hmm. and managers and, and kind of that, that level of leadership, um, the safety practitioner is this really highly visible source of blame and action, right? You can, same person, I can not only make it appear, kind of beat my chest in front of a group and say, look at me, say, look how look how much I care about this and I'm taking this out on you, but I also demand that you fix it, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of a one-stop shop for an executive or a director to kind of go, look, I care about safety, pound on my chest, now you go fix it too, right? And I, th- I think it becomes that. Especially right? during like stand-down meetings. Yeah. People where yeah. we're like post-event, you got the safety person like presenting and they, mm-hmm. they, they basically make an example out of you of yeah. like safety guy, safety person, you're going to fix this. 
You know, Sam, you're going to get on that, right? You're going to improve the observation program. Right. You're going to make sure that you're getting around there every morning. You're going to hit a morning meeting, right? <laughs> well, it, it, it goes back to kind of that, right? It goes back to um, the safety practitioner, kind of that undefined role, that it becomes that, that idea in the organization that the safety practitioner is the fixer of company woe, that we just mm-hmm. kind of walk around and we save lives, damn it. And we fix hazards, and that's that's what we do for organizations, right? Is we just walk around with their safety hero cape on and stop bad things from happening. And if we're out there doing that enough, if we're in enough morning meetings, then we're <laughs> going to stop. We're going to rub some good luck off of somebody. <laughs> if we're out in the field with an observation card in one hand and our high vis vest on and our safety magic wand in the other hand. Then, uh, especially if it's a magic wand that's got like a built-in ink pen for the observation card, that's right. even better, <laughs> right? And then we can go out and we're going to observe so hard and oversight so hard and fix every hazard and eliminate every bit of risk from this, the sites and locations and companies that we serve. That's kind of become the definition of the safety practitioner, right? I mean, uh, for me, when I start to kind of close my eyes, and again, um, we had mentioned it in our first recording, so I have to bring it up here. You know, the safety profession is defined. It's almost like that meme where you see like the different pictures and it's like what I think I do, what my mom thinks I do, what the company that I work for thinks that I do. Right. It's kind of that, right? So a lot of times we'll close our eyes and go, you know, we'll, we'll envision kind of this perfect state the practice of professional safety of what what we know we should be doing what the role should be and we kind of pretend mm-hmm. that's kind of what we do but it's not really what the defined role is right the organization has an entirely different definition for what that looks like and often it seems that we find it to be more of what the kind of not so great stuff well, <laughs> that we were it, just chatting about yeah it's evident too in the uh, different hierarchies that are established mm-hmm. sometimes you report right to a safety manager other times you have a general you know catch-all manager that mm-hmm. has like you know, health and safety and environmental under it. Yeah. Or you report to operations. Yeah. Yeah. And HR. I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You kind of find yourself, yeah, HR. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not picking on our, uh, I don't know. Look, I'm not picking on our, on our human remains friends out there, <laughs> but I've just never heard good stories about that. I've never been in that kind of reporting structure. If folks out there have, I would love to hear from you. The hot nerd at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your stories. Because I've never found myself in that that mm-hmm. particular reporting structure, but I've heard some of the freaking worst horror stories 100%, about Hundred percent, same here. I've only heard negative things. Yeah. Because you have, we always we always like to separate ourselves from discipline, yeah. and we like to say safety and discipline are two separate or pieces of the organization. But if you're all HR, then you can't necessarily say that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I well, back to one stop shop. It's just quick. Have pull you in, fire you, have you out the gate in no time. It's perfect. Gosh. You know, that's 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 something that they never put on the resume or the uh, job description. I remember I, I've told this story before where I was out walking around one of my like the first safety job I ever got. Um, one of the guys was uh, in a man lift. Didn't he must have just forgot? Mm-hmm. Like something happened, but he did. He wasn't clipped in to the uh, anchor, and I could see it from the from the ground. It was just kind of like dangling. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, hey, and I just made the motion of like tying a knot, and he was like, cool, he ripped, you know, just, and then one of the supervisors came by, I was like, what was that? It's like, oh, he wasn't tied off, I just reminded him, and then I came back a day later, and they're like, hey, that guy, you said that it didn't tie off? Don't worry about it, we fired him. I'm like, oh, oh no, why would you do that? It's like, yeah, we have a 100% tie-off policy in our company. 
or zero tolerance, I think is what they what they said. And because uh, yeah, yeah. we really care about safety. Yeah, I'm just like God. I feel terrible. <laughs> you know, if I knew, I wouldn't have said anything. I would have wait. You know, or I would have like. Well, that's what you you kind of bring up the exact point of of why we find ourselves around here arguing so heavily against zero tolerance policies because it mm-hmm. becomes exactly that. Oh, I'm just not going to say anything because I can't. Yeah. And especially if the safety practitioner finds themselves in a role. Cause I, I've been there too. I've worked for companies that have the exact same policy where it's like, I'm not going to tell, just don't do that shit. Yeah. Yeah. And see, if I, if I knew that was the policy, cause I, I, I literally just started, yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah. it was, and it wasn't my company. It was a contractor. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know my, my yeah. company didn't have a zero you know, yeah. toler- uh, tolerance policy. And everyone for- thought at the end of the day, you fired that person. Yeah, no, hundred yeah. percent. And so when you walk around as a freaking, you There's know, 20, Ian, the Punisher, don't twenty two year old guy, you get labeled. Don't You're, mess with Ian. He'll, yeah, he'll get your ass right off. <laughs> you really, you know what it turns into? It turns into like, hey, Ian, you want to go do a back shift? You know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, sure. I've never done that before. And then you start walking down into the into the unit, all you hear is, hey, safety's coming. Safety's coming. <laughs> you get, you you get like the bird calls and yeah. stuff. And <laughs> it's just like in, uh, you know, like in the prison movies where they're heckling the new person. They're yeah. like, safety's coming. <laughs> Safety. You know, everyone stops working. All of a sudden, there's no more, you know, pneumatic tools going anymore. And silence. Just silence. Yeah. yeah, you hate that. But that's what happens mm-hmm. in... in I think it's grossly unfair to safety pros because, but but you know, there's nothing we can really do about it because we you know we never know about those ha- things until they happen. Yeah, well, and I think that even starts to lead us down this path of kind of the definition of a safety practitioner. We started on on kind of that idea of kind of where we think what we think our definition of the practice of professional safety. But as we kind of said, the, the more common definition and the definition that organizations hold around the, the practice of professional safety, um, the one that permeates throughout industry and kind of across industry lines, uh, is not quite what we have in mind when it comes to the practice of safety. We, it's, it's more of kind of what we're saying, kind of the fixer role. It's kind of more of the walk down and audit and beat, repeat kind of role, right? It's the safety cop role that organizations say they don't want, but then kind of back up with actions and say that they do want, mm-hmm. right? It becomes this role of kind of being a fortune teller of bad things and a predictor of bad things to come. That's through, yeah. <clears throat> And this is hard, air quotes, trending, right? Through, through leading... There's an argument to be made that leading indicators don't exist, by the way. But leading <laughs> leading indicators, right? It's, it's, because the argument, I love the way I heard Conklin, I heard Todd put it like this before that, you know, if leading indicators exist, if they existed, BP and Shell and all these multi-trillion dollar organizations would have paid somebody a lot of money to already create them. That's true. They don't exist, right? So, kind of not to get off on a side tangent, but, but this kind of rant that the safety practitioner is supposed to look at these four observations that were con, that were performed over the past, you know, fourteen months and trend and predict the next horrific thing to happen. Um, that's kind of where I feel the definition has has found its way to. It's kind of that kind of <laughs> this 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 fixer of company woe and predictor of bad things to come and magical preventer of accidents. (laughs) Just just kind of that. And that's, that will never be on a job description, but, but that's, that's, that's who we are because we are 100% expected to look into some crystal ball and identify where the next big accident kill you know fatality is yeah. going to happen so it's it, it's it's in there but it's subtle in a lot of in a lot of ways i, w- I would encourage folks 
Um, I know a lot of safety pros constantly look at job boards, right? We're, we're just like that, right? We're always like scrolling. Let me see what's going on over here on the, mm-hmm. on the uh, internet. Let me see who's hired right now. You know, um, some of that probably has to do with the way your organizations are fun safety. Right. Just saying, <laughs> but we're constantly prowling through job, job postings. And you'll see this little phrase pop up that says, um, collect, interpret and analyze data. And a lot of times mm. that's followed up with that's predict and prevent incidents, right? And if it's not predict, it's followed up closely by prevent incidents. And those are those, that's loosely strung together to mean you're going to tell us when bad things are going to happen or it's your ass. It's kind of, it's kind of what that means. And if they're not going to actually fire you over it, they'll make you feel bad enough that you're going to want to quit. Well, it's, it's back to that point that we were, we were making before that it's like, how could, how could you have not seen this? Mm-hmm. Safety is literally in your title. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God forbid the... What do I pay you for, Ian? Jesus. Yeah, God forbid the person who is a journeyman electrician turned maintenance manager going to be more likely to find an electrical hazard in the field than me. Well, we, you're a safety practitioner. You're held to a different standard. No. <laughs> Yeah, it's like there's, there's. I didn't even know that was a standard. You know, like I that that's happened to me before. We cannot well, that, waste. We cannot waste some some manager's time on the safety <laughs> crap. That's why we hire and pay for you to do yep, it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, and I'll never forget it because it was not finding forever. You know, on um, you know when they have the knockouts on the mm-hmm. exterior when they put in like the the terminal cables into like 480 boxes. Yep. Apparently, we had some auditor that went and got on hands and knees and started looking on the bottom to make sure there were no open ports. And I got schooled by a maintenance manager one time, like, safety guy, you never look underneath the... The electrical cabinets? Look at that. There's four holes, four knockouts there. That's that's electrical exposure. And I'm just like, buddy, this is news to me. And they're just know. like, man, what kind of safety guy we hired? You didn't even know that was a requirement? Are you serious? I think I'd follow it up with, you don't either? You don't look <laughs> <here>? <laughs> You know, and, we, and then you, you, you can see it, too, where it's, like, compliance-driven. You'll see when, when people do their walk-arounds, they'll open up, you know, all the doors on the electrical cabinets. They walk by to see if there's any missing uh, knockout covers. Um, it's frustrating because as a safety pro, and me me and Sam talked about this, uh, before offline, but it's real difficult for a safety pro to know what they're walking into, Mm -hmm. you know, from the interview and because usually you'll get kind of the best face. Like you you don't know you stepped into it until you got there, unfortunately. And we were trying to craft ways maybe to help the safety pro to get a better understanding of what the culture is. So that way you're not in this position or you're less likely to be in this Mm -hmm. position than you are today to find out like, Oh my gosh, this is traditional safety. And I had no idea. They had all the right language in the description. Sure. You but know, I, I didn't realize this was traditional safety. I, for me, um, as I kind of talk to folks and as I kind of hear folks' experiences with applying and as I look at job boards and just view kind of jobs out there and stuff, you know, some of them are, are dead giveaways, right? And so this would be the first little bit of caution that I would sprinkle out there for folks is that if you see a job description that has support our vision of zero incidents, mm. run yep. away as fast as you can. They're not worth your time unless you just want a challenge. <laughs> unless you're just psychotic like me and you're yeah, just or you unless just want the you challenge. Have, unless you have insider info about exactly, that about yeah. that company that you know they're on the cusp of like changing yeah, the tide. Exactly. 
you know, but if you're just browsing and you see maintain and what's the one I seen the other day, have a strong knowledge of and in the practicing of behavior based safety programs. And this is so. This is this is just Ian talking. Yeah. Anytime I see HS and E, and there's like, and I read the description, I'm like, no, no, no. They want an environmental if, person yeah. who is who is a part time safety pro. Right. I like I run. You yeah. know, if, I don't if, even I don't yeah. even if there's more than one like safety role, I just don't even give it a second look. Um, right. I mean, for me, if I see like if if I see a couple of things that we just said, promote our mission of zero. Um, be responsible for the health and safety of our employees, mm-hmm. kind of these kind of very directed, I don't know, certain things scream safety fix it. Or for me, uh, maybe a little deeper than that is this kind of mindset that safety does safety, right? When I see those things that kind of scream that to me, I'm like, Ugh. and then obviously as we're kind of touching on traditional safety things, I'm kind of like, eh, hard pass, Right, not even worth the five minutes to drop an application on that one. Right, right or wrong, that's where my mind goes, and I think we find ourselves that that if you've been around for more than a minute, you've got burned enough to go, not chancing it. <laughs> right? Right. And to your point, there's so many other roles where you'd be like looking for a safety professional must have extreme knowledge in, and then this long list of environmental yeah. requirements, stormwater it'll permitting, say and, safety yeah. manager at you know some. Uh, marketplace and like must have former law enforcement background <laughs> right. must be yeah. experienced in criminal investigation yeah. must have valid concealed carry permit yeah <laughs> i mean i'm or, cool with it or I what's just... or what they have now the uh well, i remember i got the wool pulled over my eyes so it actually it wasn't the wool pulled over my eyes because they weren't intending it but when i saw trust and safety you know, mm-hmm. practitioner engineer you know that's like the it term now i thought that like, oh man, this is like a hop kind of posting. Yeah. Like, you're 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 trying to get someone that's going to foster trust and you know uh, gain trust in the organization and be a safety pro. Nah. And then I saw it was like, uh, we need to make sure that people's information isn't being stolen. And so yeah, wildly different roles. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But um, but but you Google or you look up on LinkedIn safety yeah. jobs. That's what comes up. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think LinkedIn probably needs to tweak their. Their search just a little bit because you, know, you just get like some wild results. You know what sucks though is LinkedIn's probably it, it's like one of the better it's ones. The best, it's yeah. the best, you know, and that's the best that safety pros can yeah. get, and it sucks. Yeah, I would argue that it is probably the best, right? Mm-hmm. And especially around, you know, and there's a whole another podcast. I'm sure people have done it on just kind of LinkedIn job hunting, but just the ability to connect with recruiters and share profiles and just kind of have the job board and all that stuff in one place is just amazing. But as we we're kind of saying, even with that. I kind of scroll through there and I'll see some of those things. And that's from some pretty reputable companies where you're like, no, just, just can't. I, I know that I couldn't, mm-hmm. couldn't bring myself to that. And even going farther, some of the conversations you and I were, were having before is that um, there's a lot of places in, throughout that to kind of tap in and see, to kind of test the waters and kind of see if this might be a good fit. Um, you can learn a lot from an interview. And I think a lot of times folks forget that um, – this was, this was told me early on in my career, and it's just always kind of stuck with me, and it's, it's, it's stupid. Most people have heard this, but to really believe it is another thing. Um, when you go on a job interview, you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. Right. Right. And when you get to a certain point in your career, when you're a seasoned practitioner especially, I'm not, you know, that's, that's, that's not saying that green safety folks, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't do the same thing. But especially when you get to a place where you kind of develop that kind of 
that kind of self-confidence. You've kind of moved past that, that first come, kind of couple years of imposter syndrome you have when you're a green safety pro and you yep. kind of really, really get secure in your role. When you really know what you're good at and exactly. you know where you're most productive and yep. you know where you can uh, lend the biggest impact. Yeah, Lay it right back on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And when you do, you can really get a taste of kind of where the organization is at. Right. You know, if you ask them where their real significant challenges are at in the safety space, you can tell if they're snowing you with the answer. Yep. If they're gonna, if they're getting well, we got a lot of strains and sprains. Lots of strains we, we, and sprains. We, we got lots of strains and sprains. Yeah, we really got to reduce that. Well, and, you know, we had everything's going well, but we're just having a, we're having an uptick in barrier tape and they're trending. <laughs> and we're having to really fight hard to get these tags on these tapes. You know, that's, that's, whew, I'm telling you. Yeah. We really <laughs> need someone to get in here and help us drive down our audit findings. That's exactly. Because you know, corporate yeah. comes and they, they, man, they just come and, you know, write a novel every time. We need someone to help yeah. us get out there and do a lot of area inspections. Exactly. We, you know, and that's you know, we we had a we had a fatality a few years ago, but that was a one-off thing. That was a behavior thing, just bad poor behavior, bad choices. But it's the barrier tape we really got to focus on. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you start asking them, I I would in one job I had, it was by accident. I came to find out later because the the manager who was supposed to interview me was late, but the person who was my peer went and kind of just sat me in front of their production manager for mm-hmm. just like 15 minutes while my manager arrived because it was a remote location. Right. And he was just like, hey, can you just come and, uh, you know, sit with Ian for a little bit? And so I chatted with the production manager for like 10, 15 minutes. I didn't know anything about this company. I didn't know anything about um, its culture. But that 15-minute conversation with the production manager, I mean, he was all cor- – it was cordial. Yeah. It was very – it, we didn't go into detail about what they do. He just kind of asked me about my work history and asked me about, you know, why I'm interested in the job, how long I've been in safety. But the way that, even just the way they talked, the safety pro that introduced me to him and the way he talked about him, the reverence he has, like, oh, yeah, that guy, if you end up working here, you're going to have a great career because of him. He has a lot of knowledge. We lean on him a lot. His, mm. his door is always open because yeah. we, you know, we barge in there. And, hey, can you can you help us with this? Can you help us with this? And, I, I really just got a good feeling that safety is always at the at at the table where decisions are made. Yeah, I came later to find out that uh, it's not always heard, but you know it's not perfect. Right. But it right. was a, it was one of the best situations I fell into, and it was an accident that I sat down there. And I think yeah. moving forward, as I uh, maneuver my way back into safety, eventually. I'm definitely going to ask, like, hey, can I talk to an operations lead or can I go walk the floor? Can I, th- I talk to somebody in management for just a few minutes? I, and I think there's that, right? I think that's a huge, huge pro tip is to just ask to go walk around and talk to people. Yeah, because what are they going to say? Ask for the tour, right? Take take the free tour, mm-hmm. you know, t- take the free Especially sample. Especially if it's the second right? interview, you know, yeah, like the one right before course. you're getting hired. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean the first one they might not grant you that. They might not. They might send you like the the stock letters, like we're not interested in you at mm-hmm. this time. <laughs> but yeah, if if you're in that position to where it seems like you're progressing through that process, I mean to request that, go get the opportunity to to take the free tour, get the opportunity to talk to folks that are outside of the management team, right? Go out and just kind of like see how people talk to you, right? and you I mean, go around if you look and see. Like man, they got a lot of sign. They got a sign for everything. There probably you go. tells that's you where good, this. That's probably that's what a good you. sign. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, it's a good and sign. I don't mean so. that. I don't mean that as a true good sign. <laughs> it means that they're keeping some sign shop in business. Somebody's got a brother-in-law that oh, makes signs. Gosh. I hate. I <laughs> I hate signs. I, I can't God. stand it when people like think like safety. We need a sign for oh. that. Why don't you put a sign up? 
if there's just a sign or a label, we know that that stops people from making bad decisions. That's exactly how that works. <laughs> but so let's 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 go farther down this because I think, you know, we've painted a really good kind of picture of kind of the role as best as we can of kind of mm-hmm. where safety's at, the way that the organization views safety, the the kind of misalignment that we have there between the way that safety and I'm going to be bold here and say the way that safety should be practiced versus mm-hmm. the way that safety is envisioned and practiced by the organization. I think the organizations have it wrong. I'll say that very that's a, that might be a controversial and bold statement, but I think the the, the organizations have a, have it very wrong in the way that they've defined the role of the safety practitioner. 100%. Um, how do you think we got to that point of that definition? Because I've got some ideas. Well, OSHA's only been around like 50 years, so mm. I think. That, that has part of it to do with it because safety didn't start there, obviously. Right. And I think before that, it was just like safety was almost like out of liability. Yeah. And really just, I think it was more rare that people had safety because they genuinely wanted to make things better. I think right. they genuinely cared about their people. I don't think there was ever a doubt of like, I don't want to kill people. I, it might have been as simple as that, but yeah. I think... Um, Honestly, we need to go back to that a little bit more. I think we've become so compliance-driven, whether it's an internal compliance the standard that we put on ourselves or an external one that we put on ourselves, and we are so quick to benchmark. Yeah. If we even if we, if we seem even off compared to one of our peers in any significant oh, safety metric, oh. we'll, get, we'll get, you know— we're so afraid We're to stand out in many organizations' faces. You and I come from, from mostly utility background, mm-hmm. and utilities seem to be like the like the worst for this. <laughs> but it seems like every kind of grouping of kind of similar folks kind of have this like benchmarking group, right? Um, and the only thing that it does for me is it just kind of creates this fear of standing out or doing something different, right? So we end up lockstep with several different organizations, whether moving in the wrong direction or the right one. We're, we're, we're lockstep. It doesn't matter. It seems like it doesn't matter, right? It's like, well, it doesn't matter if we're moving in the wrong direction. That's fine. We're all doing it together. Less liability if we all do it together. <laughs> <laughs> because when we say, well, this is the industry standard, you know we know it's wrong. You know what sucks? It's the industry standard. Is I can't, I can't argue that any of that's wrong. <laughs> I wish Be- I could argue because this. I wish I didn't have to say it. <laughs> because if we're right, you know, if we're all cheating and we get caught, then it's okay because we're all bad. doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's really the same thing. It's just like one band, one sound. If we're all doing it, it's not. It's not a bad thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, like it can't be because we all can't be wrong. Yeah, and I, I, I really think that with, uh, with, with, with safety, we, I think that's why when, when I first made a run to tell management about Hop, I didn't fully understand what Hop was, and so I was trying to like piece different pieces I've heard from different uh, individuals. And, you know, black line, blue line, telling people about that. It makes sense to people. Yeah. But once you tell them, like, hey, we need to start stripping away processes <laughs> and getting rid of the things that we've done for a long time, um, you know, that observation program's got to go. Or we need to completely revamp it. Um, or the procedures need to completely go. And we need to just like, oh, don't touch my procedures. Yeah. You know? well, I, th- I, think, I think that's highlighting um, some of what we were talking about before is that um, organizations – aren't very quick to listen to the practitioner and, and, and I'm not, I'm not arguing for kind of ultimate authority to the practitioner. That's not what I mean, but I'm just saying that you literally hire safety practitioners. You should be hiring them for their expertise, mm-hmm. for their consultation, for their thought. <laughs> and then when they, when they, when they offer you thought on a silver platter, you go, not good enough. Go. 
<laughs> not what we want to see. That doesn't that doesn't match with our view on the observation program. Get out. <laughs> you know, and, and we we find ourselves more into that, where it's like, well, you can create safety work, but you can't take any of that away. You can create bureaucracy, but you can't take any away. We we that would mean that we don't care about safety. You know, what you know, would people think? What <laughs> what would their peers think about that if we got rid of something and they still have it? <laughs> You know, you know what I wonder too is um, how much influence we really have. Mm. Um, you know, you know when you have those those safety professional like woe is me yeah. days or periods or jobs. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, where you really wonder like how much of an impact you're having, and if you're just kind of there for appearances. Yeah. Like I've had those thoughts where I'm like, if I wasn't here, what would change? Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. not even just me in place of another safety person. I mean, my position. position yeah. What if safety, yeah. my position at this company didn't exist? Like, would it be different at this job site? Would it be yeah. different? And it makes me wonder when I when I get to that point, it gets almost depressing because I'm like, I, I really don't know. Yeah. And then but yeah. but but I think it's optimistic to think in that way, too, because you almost can think like this organization, like the compliance part of safety, as much as they try to make us compliance managers, like they're going to, they're going to self-regulate, you know, they don't need us to manage compliance. They think we do. They certainly like put it on our shoulders, but we really need to be the ones like crafting ideas and really getting those hard discussions, uh, at the table where it's like, okay, what is going to kill you? Or what have you like always, what would, you know, like, uh, Getting getting to that comfort level with the employees, where it's like what you say, you know, you think that's bad. You should have seen what I how I almost died last <laughs> yeah, week. Let me show you. Like this. <laughs> those are the conversations that you need to be having, and so you can take that in in mm. in the form of a solution or or some something that's going to make it suck less. Yeah, I think that I think that a lot of kind of where we find ourselves at with with the defined role of the safety practitioner or lack of definition. <laughs> I think it all, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's resulting in the same thing, whether mm-hmm. it's a defined or a little lack of definition. Um, and all that kind of stuff that we're talking about, whether it's us finding our way into becoming compliance managers or managers of human behavior, often we find ourselves in that position or we find ourselves into that position of being um, almost dis- expected to be disciplinarians in some sense. I even hear other safety professionals say that you go out and you enforce the rules. Oh, I've heard some prominent safety practitioners say that, and it kind of makes me just throw – not kind of, it does. I just throw up in my mouth, you know, and I want to hear that you should observe and enforce and repeat, right? And that's how you modify human behavior is kind I, of the, the practice or the thought We there, should be telling them things that they don't I, already know. Like, like, like Even if that, I, th- I think that a lot of times it should be us going out and learning things that we don't know. Oh, yeah, 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 100%. Right? I mean, I yep. think that there's, for sure, like, I have I was raised what, what in I, kind of this old school safety management stuff where some of the original organizations I worked for was like, you should be a walking regulation almost. Oh, you, should, yeah. you, should, you should know the standards. You should know the rules. And I think there there might be some value right. in, you know, safety practice should at least be knowledgeable of going, well... You know, I think there's a rule there. There might be something there. Yeah, we can go look. Let's go yeah, look. Yeah, and I think like, that's, that's probably a good conversation. That's what I, I think. That's what I really meant by we should be telling them some stuff that they don't know, like that, like the mm-hmm. reg. Yeah. If they need you to go reg hunt, you know, like hunting the, the yeah. hunting down something in the regs, hundred percent. Like I'll do that because I, they I like the let's go look together. I think that's, that's right. Yeah, that's, like. that's better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm always trying to drive the wedge of between safety fix it and the practitioner. And I'm always trying to, to, 
I hate the I hate the work ourselves out of a job thing. I don't think there's really a lot of truth in that. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably always going to be room for a practitioner if we evolve into kind of I think where some of our conversation might go in a second. But I think we work I, out ourselves out of being compliance managers. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I like the idea of making to to that point exactly is creating less dependence on the safety practitioner. Mm-hmm. Right, I think that um, that's probably a great place to kind of evolve towards, where there's less dependence on the practitioner overall for things like that. Of, hey, safety, what do I do? Right, I don't know if that's a very good model for making things better, because we see that quite a bit, right? But I, I think where I'm going is this: I think all of this stuff kind of comes from the underlying assumptions that we have around safety to begin with, and then the way that the practitioner fits in that machine of how we define safety, right? So most organizations define safety as an outcome, right? Safety is the absence of bad things happening, Mm -hmm. right? And so most organizations, as we were kind of mentioning, define that as safety equals zero, right? So zero good, anything other than zero bad, other than maybe a one in front of all those zeros on the executive bonus check for getting zero, right? That might be good, (laughs) but the other, the big goose egg is kind of what we're looking for. So that zero becomes the value of the organization, right? The, the, the organization values zero. So the safety practitioner is naturally put into a position of managing outcome, right? This is my job to work towards that value of zero, to be the manager of outcome, the manager of zero, the steward of zero. And we kind of find ourselves then leaning into that kind of safety fix-it model. When anything's not zero, we're the steward of that zero. We're the we're the manager of those outcomes. Now, when zero doesn't occur, how we do we make sure this doesn't happen again? Right. How do we make sure this never happens again? How do we get back to that glorious zero that we maintain for however many hours or however many years that it was? So I think I think that's kind of where we have to get back to if we want to truly redefine the role of the safety practitioner and the way they function within an organization. If we just change the definition to that kind of envisioned state that we're talking about before, that kind of role that we kind of close our eyes and see, then we know that this practitioner should be, nothing really changes, right? It's just that surface level definition. It's kind of like when organizations put up their new values posters on their <laughs> wall or they mail out they mail out new values cards, right? Or nothing's really changed, right? It's just different words, same underlying beliefs, right? Nothing, nothing's really changed. So you got to get into those underlying beliefs to really change how that functions in the org. So I think as we kind of go down doing safety differently or hop or whatever we want to call it, right, when we start to view or redefine safety overall, naturally the role of the practitioner starts to change. Right. So if we move from safety as zero and move to safety equals the presence of defenses, we kind of get to that point to where we understand that the only way that we, uh, the, we the only way that we build and construct and maintain those defenses is through learning, right? Defenses, capacity, however we want to say it, right? Um, we find that the safety practitioner then becomes more of a steward of learning than a steward of zero, because learning then kind of becomes kind of, sort of, it does, it becomes the value of the organization, the overriding value. Unfortunately, of the though, we'll we'll muck that up. <laughs> we'll start. We'll start tracking learning. Well, well look at how we, yeah. we we need to learn at least ten times a year. Since and we're getting rid of OSHA recordables, just ten. Yeah, just ten. We need it. We need. <laughs> we need to learn ten to get our bonus. You know, because we always we always have to measure something. And I right. I, I was gut checked on that in an earlier episode of like, mm-hmm. why do you have to measure? Why do you have to measure? Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what guests we had. Was that Jason? Probably. Jason. Yes, I think. And. 
you know, afterwards I mulled that over of like, why do we have to measure anything? And I'm right. like, you know what? If we measured nothing, once again, going to the, I think I'm real big on that right now. I'm mm-hmm. just like removing something from the equation and seeing what that does. You know, if we didn't measure anything, I don't know how much it would make a difference. It, it, th- things would probably get better. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, let's just because be we'd have nothing to like right. look at and like apply opinion to. Well, with measure is going to come manipulation, right? Especially if you tie financial incentives to it. Right, if you tie, and not even financial incentives, if you just 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 tied just the potential for you know a milestone to be hit, right? Just just the potential, or even just humiliation for not right. achieving that, right? Humiliation amongst your peers, for yeah, see them, they didn't get as good a record as we did, <laughs> right? So yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think that there is something to be said around how that manifests because if you're not very cautious. Um, and we we seek out an, just another thing to measure under mm-hmm. that definition. We're just going to find ourselves back in a very similar situation with a, with yeah exactly yeah with a, with a with a maybe a little bit different role and responsibility. I, I used to really believe that there are certain things you can measure that will have a good outcome, but I really think that it just needs to like if if mm-hmm. anything's to be measured, we like pl- we keep it close to the vest. Sure, we just kind of like use that as like a loose gauge of like where are we? Yeah, but but you know companies we. If well, it, I think you even take it even higher. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm really thinking too, like, like, like absolutes, like not leading indicators. I mean, I'm looking at like, when was the last time we killed somebody? Yeah. When was the last time we had a significant injury that we like altered somebody's quality yeah, of life? Exactly. And then try to, you know, even just look at that and be like, okay. Pretty solid leading indicators that you can look at kind of behind the curtain of the organization mm-hmm. and go, okay, we're not killing people anymore. This is good now, and again, I'm not not saying that. Or that, this is bad, right? We're or probably this is might bad. be <laughs> something. Something's coming, right? Um, but I think that's a, that's an entire <laughs> another episode that we could dive into probably on on measure. But I think that you have to ask your question or ask that question: Is that is it worth measuring at all? But it goes it goes right? back to the fear of wanting to abandon things or fear of not wanting to let good things go. Yeah. If you told people i mean you i think you i, I love how um unwound you get when <laughs> we, we we talk about this because you <laughs> see the response of like i can't remember how you say it. it's like if we told an organization to get rid of osha recordables they would say well that demonstrates we don't care yeah we you don't know? care yeah we don't care if 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 i stop measuring people will think that we don't care about safety yeah. <laughs> right? And that's the piece that matters. It's not the fact that we're actually getting better or worse or we're taking care of our employees or we're not. Organizations, as bullshit as it is, mostly care about the optics of the way that their safety programs mm-hmm. appear, not how they actually function. Right? And that's probably the saddest truth that we have to confront within this conversation of how the practitioner fits within that system. Because kind of the point that you were making earlier is that if it's all about optics – What's the true role of the safety practitioner in an organization that really doesn't care how the how the program functions? Managing they just office. care how it looks. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, we get we get we get caught up, you know, reading our own news clippings too. Sure. We'll get we'll, we'll put zero for two three years on a resume. And, yeah. I mean, I don't do that anymore, but at one yeah. point in my career, I definitely thought that was meaningful. Yeah. Of like helped you know help foster a culture that has zero for two well, and a half I've, years. If you if you again if you've done this for in for any amount of time, you're going to find yourself in that position where I've. I've Years back, I received, and this shall remain nameless, but I received an award from an organization for dramatically lowering incident rates, <laughs> right? And I'll tell you how I did it. I became a freaking phenomenal case manager, 
right? Nothing changed other than the fact that we became very, very, very good at case management, right? So what does that really mean? It means absolutely Work nothing. tolerance. That's what it right. means. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. If it, if it hurts, don't do it. Right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what that definition means. Um, so, it, but it really truly means nothing, right? So I think it still come, kind of comes back in our little, our kind of little side tangent on measure is that I don't think that it, what we measuring recordables, measuring all the things that we typically record or that we typically measure, it really doesn't do us a lot of good. In most cases, it probably might even do us some harm. Right. Right. Um, I think that as an organization, you can probably sit down and really think about what you could measure, right? But I think there's going to have to be a lot of detailed conversation on how that's done effectively, right? And I think that you get back to looking for the presence of something rather than the lack of something, right? Rather than examining, rather rather than examining for the lack of injury, right? There's nothing bad happening here. Examining for a, a topic that we we just have chatted on is that examining for all the times that you know something. I don't know, a, a, a verification worked in our lotto program, right? Where we found something where, duh, somebody messed up because that's what people do, and it stopped something. That's pretty cool, right? And it's something to be looked at as success. It's a as success. Some, something that's yeah. looked at as like, oh, man, we really did something good. Mm-hmm. Throw some steaks on the grill tomorrow. Hell, yeah, let's yeah. get back at it. You know, let's keep yeah. finding that stuff. What, because it, because right now it's a double-edged – it's a slippery slope. It's a mm-hmm. double-edged sword because on one end you're like, great, you verify – well, it it all depends, right? Mm-hmm. So well, if, if the, like in one instance, like the verification can be looked at as a good thing, but then on like the flavor of the month, uh, an, another time, depending how serious it is, or depending mm-hmm. how once again, I think it goes to optics. Yeah, I really think if it's a small event, they're like, hey, yeah, good job. That verification really stopped that, you know, yeah. stopped something from happening. But if the optics is bad. You know, if it's a critical system, if it caused a unit to trip or it caused a catastrophic event to happen, that same thing that would have been celebrated, it's like, well, we could have killed people, but this time we only had, uh, you know, cavitating of our pumps because of that. So it was much less severe. So sure. good job. Instead, it's like, uh, you know, how come you didn't stop it earlier? It's not yeah, celebrated. It's, it's, it should have stopped. And yeah, exactly. When really the one that was worse would probably be the more significant one. 100%. Obviously, that we should really be going, oh my God, this is cool. But I think something that, that either way, um, we're looking for the presence of that. And either way, if we have that where we stopped something, right, that verification process worked, um, whatever, right, that's just probably one of a hundred examples that we could probably sit here mm-hmm. and kick back and forth of verification in a lockout tagout process um, but looking at it and going okay that worked now asking a follow-up question without blame of was that luck or was that the fact that we were good at right and either way either answer is acceptable that's the problem Wanna- that's the problem that most organizations face when they get to that point is they go good is the only acceptable answer yep there's luck, no way you luck say. is not an acceptable answer when it is and either way you can learn Mm-hmm. Right, it's kind of back to the point that if we redefine kind of the view of our, our true underlying de- assumptions around what safety means, then we get to the point of understanding at the end of that chain that learning is the real value. Learning is the only tool that we have to evaluate and assess and build up those defenses it, right against the stuff that actually kills us. You know what kills me too is what kills me. What really, what, what really, what, what really hurts me is that we went through this uh, really dialogue about 
how the metrics are BS and how mm -hmm. the metrics are really just applied for optics. And it really makes me sad that we use those metrics to define the safety professional. Sure. Or the organizations do. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then some safety pros define their career using that sure. too. And it's almost like we're defining our career off of something that is just an illusion Mm -hmm. of safety that that is that is when we talk luck that's luck yeah yeah 100 percent yeah, luck and it's I, luck it's a combination of luck and case I management i really think that we need to have that honest conversation you know i challenge anybody we I, i've done that and i was like you know i felt in one of those situations where you're like watching yourself across from across the room say it mm -hmm. of like after an event like that where nothing seemingly happened where like you got away scot-free like in the sense yeah. that nobody was hurt yeah. um you really should say, are we good or are we lucky? Yeah. And start challenging your team of like, hey, this is a free pass. This is an opportunity mm -hmm. for us to learn. Like that person probably has a great solution on how to fix that yeah. or how to make things a little less mm -hmm. uh, dangerous, a little better. And maybe there's other yeah. places where it's worse. And they maybe we need to give them the opportunity to tell us where that is so we can try to make things suck a little less build yeah. up some capacity in other places well i, I think i think that right i, I think kind of even just just driving back to those assumptions i think when we truly redefine those things and i mean really right if you can if you can just close your eyes and imagine i like this envision stuff if you can it's my hippity dippity stuff if you just close your eyes and you can just imagine the organization that truly has moved beyond viewing safety as a number right we've just put that behind us Right, and we're going, okay, pass on that. Not working for us. Mm -hmm. Right. Safety is the presence of something, right? It's not the absence of something, right? And we're getting to that point to where we understand, right, in that organization, this big imaginary organization, XYZ Corp., right, where we understand that learning is the only tool that gets us to that point, right? That, that lets us look at those those capacities that we developed, right? That's how yeah. we grow those capacities. We need to be facilitators of learning. And, yeah. and you know, what's interesting to me is going back to this, what is a safety pro? Mm -hmm. You know, Conklin, Decker, they're considered safety pros. Yeah. But would they get hired with right. their resume? Right. You know, right. I mean, which is remarkable to me. I'm just like, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> would, would they fit the description? And even then when you have these like great minds like that, uh, I, I always think like, man, we need we need those guys to come. They'll help. They'll fix our organization. It's just like you try to think about your own futility, and you're like, if yeah. if they were in my role, what would they say? What would they do? Would they actually enact change, or would they get to a point where they just throw their hands up? It's like you you guys aren't ready. See y'all. And then yeah. I'm gonna go find another place that yeah. is willing to accept my ideas, and, yeah. um, or not even well, my ideas, but just willing to accept that change needs to happen and it needs mm -hmm. to be dramatic. Well, and, and that, that's why I harp so much on the assumption, because I think that's the only way that we can truly get to the point. Because what we're really talking about is a question of impact, mm -hmm. right? How do we create the most impactful role, right? And in our current state, it's not as impactful as it should be, right? You really have to fight and scratch and claw for any bit of ground that you gain, right? You really have to – beyond like surface-level bullshit fix stuff, like the tripping hazard that should maybe have some spray paint, we can get that done all day long. But if we're talking about like we really need to change the way that we're measuring – no, 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 no. You're wrong. <laughs> we find ourselves up against up against a wall, right? We just can't move yeah, on. Yeah, change it by so, change it by getting rid of it. Yeah, I think I think that's back to that point on the only way that we really drive significant change in the profession is by redefining what safety means to begin with. I would I right. would love to, you know, once again, safety in general. We don't test things. 
Right. Or at least the companies don't let us test things. Of course not. They just say, here you go, here's a new out. program. It's already figured out. I would love to like try that it. try that like the Woolworth experiment, mm-hmm. you know, like just try one one site if you're fortunate enough to have multiple sites, mm-hmm. like craft an agreement with your manager and say like, hey, don't yeah. put any don't publish any safety stats. Obviously still track them because we're compliant, you yeah. know, we're we're obligated to track certain numbers. But like don't put it in the forefront. Don't publish it. No, yeah. Don't tell anybody about it. See what happens. Yeah. Don't even talk about good catches and close calls. Like, just tell people, like, hey, so-and-so brought up something. Really appreciate it. Here you go, man. Here's yeah. a, you know, here's a, I don't know, just something. It doesn't yeah. have to be a monetary reward. Well, it could just be like, hey, good job. That's the kind of stuff we want to see. All yeah. right. See you later. Well, I think I think you can carry on that idea into even the definition of what the practitioner is. I think you can micro-experiment because I think we have to admit that the definition of the practitioner, any true definition that we throw out there for, it's probably going to be a little wrong for every organization, mm-hmm. right? I mean, but that's where I kind of land on something that is almost as equally vague as probably the definition that we currently have, but just vague in a better way, I guess, is that we – It's I think that our priorities just shift, Right, where we were talking about all these kind of priorities that support the current values that organizations hold, which is case management and outcome management and uh, all leading to driving down numbers or moving things towards zero and fixing things for the organization. I think when we shift the assumptions and we start to develop better priorities, those priorities become learning, as we kind of said. I'm not saying that compliance goes out the window. Right. I think things just kind of get reordered on the to-do list, right? I think things that are more important, such as learning and making work suck less and focus on overall company culture and betterment and all those things move high on the list where they're currently kind of lower on the list and more traditional safety. And things such as compliance and all the other kind of stuff move way down the list because they're just not as important. I know that, that, that that's going to make some traditional safety folks mad when I say compliance isn't that important, but it's not, right, compared to the other things that are on our list, right? <laughs> Everything else kind of moves up. The kind of traditional stuff kind of moves backwards on the list. It's not going away. I think a safety professional that has a, a, maybe a, a good grounding in compliance is probably okay, right? That's probably a good thing to understand some regs. It's probably a good thing to understand the – true interpretation of some regs but the truth is if you are brought in as a compliance person that's how the that's how they're going to utilize you yeah i mean let me, let me rephrase that if you are brought in and you have a strong compliance background mm-hmm. they are not going to hesitate to allow you to do that yeah and if and that's that's the culture that you want really like you want people to look at you as the safety cop yeah. because no one's going to tell you anything let alone like the stuff that's potentially going to kill somebody yeah well i think even i think as the profession grows um, again, we're going to have compliance, right? I think it's okay to be versed in compliance. I think in extremely large organizations, you're probably going to have safety departments that fragment into different pieces that are more specialized, mm-hmm. or you probably do have a compliance person, you know, but that's not like compliance or else kind of stuff. Again, we're all kind of, this is with that, this is with that, again, close your eyes and imagine all the assumptions have changed and we're in a new world of safety with a new definition. You know, compliance, again, it's there, it's important. If you have a comp- it's not high on that 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 list of importance. If you have a culture of ownership, like there's really less work that needs to be done on the safety yeah. practitioner's part for compliance management. Yeah. Because I've worked for those cult companies that have or those jobs, those sites that have that culture, and where you really don't have to manage. Mm-hmm. You only have to manage the exceptions, the stuff that people don't know about. Yeah. And even then, there's stuff that they teach you about that they didn't know was a expectation yeah. or was a requirement. So. I think that 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 two-way street where everyone's coaching everybody, it's a great place to be. Well, Um, that's where I – 
I kind of land in that general vague definition of what a practitioner should be. And it's, it's more of a facilitator of learning. It's more of, um, kind of an evangelist for organizational betterment. It's more of this kind of place where instead of being the guru and kind of the all knowing, all seeing prophet that predicts bad things that are on the horizon and swoops in and prevents them from happening, it really becomes the practitioner should really be focusing on as a, as a team builder and as a team member, as a contributor, right? And kind of the larger group rather than being kind of the hoarder of information and the one source for all things safety, the one stop shop where go up to go up on high to the safety office and bring back an answer from the practitioner. Right. And that's kind of where we're at now in a lot of ways is that I don't know, go ask safety, go climb the mountaintop <laughs> and bring back the tablets with the, with the answer on it. Right. And that's just, it's just dangerous to me that we take away. Um, and it has always seemed dangerous to me that we take away um, kind of the ability for the folks that actually do work to make decisions mm-hmm. and put them in the hands of someone that has probably never, ever actually done their job, but they have a book that tells them how to do it. Right. I don't know. Call me old fashioned, but I think the people that do work know how to freaking do work. And as a practitioner, it should be our role to be extremely curious about how they're successful every day and learn from that success. That's me. <laughs> Well, when you paint when you paint the picture that way, mm-hmm. safety removed, and you just say, just what you said, you have people yeah. who have technical acumen that can only be uh, acquired through doing yeah. and through in years of instruction, and you, your method to regulate their work on how to do their job safely is by a person who has a a guidebook, a vague book of rules. Right. Right. Um, you know, obviously, at face value, you're just like, that sounds crazy. Why the heck would you ever do that? But that's exactly what we do in our safety every, profession. Every, every day, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I think that's where the practitioner, instead of being kind of the guru, right? Again, that that kind of up on high, kind of go single source of all things safety. Um, it's where they're that person on a team, right? They're a team member. They're the facilitator. They're the folks that kind of wrangle those cats together, right? And go, let's have this conversation because I don't know the answer and you probably don't know the answer, but all of us in this diverse group can probably figure out a pretty good answer. Right? I think that's more of the real, the true role where the safety professional can be the most impactful rather than going to and go, well, how do you not know this safety practitioner? What do you mean you don't know how to the distance in which portable toilets must be placed from job site trailers off the top of your head, off the top of your head. What's wrong with you? (laughs) So I think it's that for me that that's where I kind of land on this envisioned place, right? Of where the practitioner, what the practitioner should be focused on. Ultimately, if I had to boil that down into something, it would be kind of this, this obsession, this, this obsession with how work happens, not in a bad way. I don't don't take that in like an obsession and like how you follow the rules. And get, that's not what I mean. Mm-hmm. I mean it in a way that the practitioner should be so curious uh, and just just fascinated with work, work in general, how work successfully happens, going out and learning from normal work, right, and going very cool. Let's talk about this, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a great place or a great way to kind of paint the practitioner as just a curious person that likes to learn about how things happen, right? How things occur, and kind of all those little bits and pieces that we kind of touched on already as well. The facilitator, you know, team, team you know what I hate about that sometimes is when you do that and you go out and you talk to the front line mm-hmm. uh, and you try to 
leverage that into an action or some kind of fix, um, especially if it involves money. Mm-hmm. Usually, you're met with oppor- Usually, you're met with people that are quick to discredit the source. Sure. Either you, because you don't know enough, mm-hmm. you were just given like a pinhole's view into the real problem, right. and so you couldn't have possibly understood it better than us. Or they try to discredit. You know, usually it's like, hey, who who told you that? Oh, that's so and so. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Oh, they're oh they they they, they whine about everything. Crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, we we don't we don't listen to him anymore. You know, they they whine all the time. You know, and I I really think that that happens too often. Mm-hmm. When we try to do what you're talking about, sure, and we end up yeah. we end up getting to a place where we're just like, well, I'll kind of just do enough, right, to get by right now while right. I, while I look for another job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, but I think I think when you couple that with some of the other pieces, and again, you could even possibly throw in being uh, a connector there, right, of kind of connecting those ideas with the right people, and maybe the ideas are a flop, maybe maybe they shouldn't go anywhere, mm-hmm. but I think at least at least as a facilitator and kind of a, a a practitioner that drives towards learning, towards operational learning. And it's really a drive towards operational intelligence and kind of tuning into those faint signals in the organization that we can at least kind of start that conversation or help facilitate that conversation. We connect the bits and pieces to where that conversation can at least be had. Yep. Right. And again, if I think if we go back and obviously if this is happening under kind of the guise of the, the or under the, the definition of kind of more traditional safety, it's going to fall flat on its face the entire kind of game has to shift a little bit for, for us to get to where we want to go. But with the understanding that has shifted and that's now the role of practitioner, I think you're going to see more success than what you probably would not. Right. You're going to have those places where it flops. Yeah. You're gonna have those places where everybody has a bad idea. I have tons of them. Right. They happen (laughs) all the time. And that's, that's a good thing to be able to have that kind of open dialogue between um, all levels of the organization go, I don't know. That sounds like a stupid idea. (laughs) Let's talk about it. We'll talk about it, but that might be a stupid idea. <laughs> it's okay to accept that as, as a stupid idea. Right? I think there's something we we we, we mentioned. Um, you know, this is a off off topic conversation that we had, but it's okay to take ideas from organizations and industries that aren't. I'm sorry, organizations that don't occupy the same industry as you. I think that well, a lot of times we're real scared to do that. Well, real scared is the wrong word. Mm-hmm. We're reluctant to do that if we're working energy. God forbid we take something from yeah. you know the yeah. warehouse side of things or from uh, farming because they're all different. Safety is not safety, you right. know. Like it, it needs to be specific to what we're doing. So we can only benchmark with utilities. We can only benchmark with other warehouse companies, mm-hmm. you know, or other warehouses, other other distrib- distribution companies. I think that the solutions can come from anywhere. You know, we we, we always say that with people. You know, we encourage everyone to speak yeah. up, but it really should we should start doing that with other organizations. If you For sure, a, yeah. Because if it truly is what you're talking about, if we truly are just facilitators of learning, then there might be someone that works on a chicken farm that is like a master facilitator of like, I'll tell you yeah. how I get people to talk and be open about yeah. what's going on. And we'll never learn about that because we're like, oh, what would chicken farming know we're about running? T- entirely too close-minded, right? Mm-hmm. Around, <laughs> exactly, around those things. So I th- I th- exactly, yeah. I think that... You have to kind of drive towards um, reaching outside of the organization in general, kind of to the point that we're making earlier that oftentimes we find ourselves just in lockstep with an industry and going, okay, well, we if we're all doing it, it's got to be right. Right. 
right? I mean, if, if everybody's doing this, yep, you're okay. To my left, to my right, everybody's doing the same thing. Okay, this has got to be the right move. I think to add to some of the definition of the practitioner, though, is that we need to be that person that in, that that is and encourages. We do we do and encourage this to happen uh, is micro experimentation, right? I think we really need to focus on that being an okay thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's okay to experiment, micro experiment, and fail and learn, because to your point, a lot of times to the, to your point earlier on benchmarking, a lot of times we say, well, that looks neat. Let's do <laughs> that here. That looks neat. And it we, is. you know, some executive you know, on a, on a floor far, far away from any of us, you know, have seen something cool at some stupid conference that they've been to or have seen something cool from one of their executive peers at another organization that's similar to the one that you find yourself in and go, well, I'm going to do that too. That's cool. That'll make me the, uh, make me the victorious champion of my organization. Mm -hmm. And they bring back said stupid idea with them. And I'm just using stupid loosely here. Let's just make, let's make an assumption that it's a really (laughs) stupid idea. And instead of experimenting with it in the organization and saying, well, let's Shotgun. try that out, let's go to, hey, small group in business unit X, let's try this here and see what you all think about it. Let me know how it works for you. Let me know if, yeah, what you have to change to make it work, what worked well, what didn't work out. So, well, let's try it out, and then maybe we'll talk about it. Nope. The very next day, exact directive from up on high. This program shall be in effect within the next 30 days throughout the entire organization. No questions asked. You know, you know what I learned? I don't care what the safety practitioner says. They're wrong. We don't hire them to think. That is crazy. We hire them to do, right? So then you see those kind of things kind of happen throughout organizations. So I'm, I'm, I went and finished a uh, data analytics class just recently, uh, a couple weeks ago. Actually, last week. So let's let's stop and say that though. In the midst of your podcast, in the midst of everything else that you have going on in your life, you go to school too. Oh yeah, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, right? so I'm uh, doing, doing my MBA. I'll be graduating yeah. May. So, so you're like right there. You're yeah, like, I'm, I'm, right, I'm there. right there. I'm so close. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, so the data analytics class, they split it seventy thirty, and I saw so many parallels to safety. Seventy thirty meaning like seventy percent is the target, thirty percent is the control, and anytime you do any kind of data manipulation or data machine learning. You, you would leave 30% of like how it was before. And you just have to take that, even though the return on investment, even though the uh, increase in revenue could be maximized by including all 100%, you need to take that as a loss and really as like an investment of like, I'm going to be losing X amount if this doesn't work um, by not having that 30% of my customer base included in this uh, entire experiment. But that's a loss that I'm just willing to take because what if it doesn't work? And then at least I have 30% of it that wasn't affected. And you need something. You 30% is a lot too. Usually yeah. we'll be like, oh, 5%, 10%. Yeah. Like 30% is going to tell you significantly if there's a difference, an Absolutely. improvement, whether good or bad. Yeah. And in safety, we need to start doing that. Well, you're, you're exactly. You're, you're going to have proof, right? You're going to have something to measure against. And, uh, and you're going to have something to hold on to if it doesn't work, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Just, which is good. But unfortunately, in safety, we don't science very often. No, right? <laughs> we 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 don't science at all. There is zero science because it's usually a go do. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a it's, gut feel. Everything's mm-hmm. a gut feel go do. Yeah, safety is all qualitative mm-hmm. until we decide to apply numbers to it, which is odd. Yeah. You know, we, 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 we talked about how loose the metrics are. That's yeah. like the only time we assign science. It's the, not even the science. The pseudoscience just, bullshit of the professional practice like of the, safety. <laughs> yeah. Look, we, we, we don't do things that are founded in 
research. Fact. The, 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 yeah. The, <laughs> <laughs> because the the truth is, there are people that are thought leaders like Conklin and Decker and you know Clive Lloyd even that that, that tell us things that were like, oh wow, this is like research. This is like founded mm-hmm. in knowledge. We should take this to the organization and. They're gonna love it because it's yeah. so obviously good. It's so obviously better than the process we have right. now. But then, you know, that's where we have that conversation about safety is as a science versus a religion. Because mm-hmm. you tell them it's like blasphemy that yeah. you would ever suggest stop tracking uh, OSHA recordables as yeah. a metric. You don't care. You're a horrible safety professional. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> that, what the <laughs> the, the idea <laughs> that you wouldn't get rid of your observation program altogether is like mm-hmm. what? How are we supposed to yeah. track things? How are we supposed to make sure? How people... are we supposed to know that leaders are out there doing observations yeah. if we don't have an observation program? Yeah. If you if you ever suggested <laughs> if you ever suggested that, that's the response you would get. Yeah. yeah. How well, do we make sure people are doing their jobs, Sam? Yeah. Well, and I think it's it's even kind of going back. Driving back to the to the new and better, I'll be bold enough to call it a better definition of safety professional, the better practice of professional safety. Kind of going back to that point of, of learning and promoting learning in the organization. To your point, you know, when we once we redefine, going back to the assumptions, I'm always going to draw back to the assumptions. When everything's changed, right? When we've, we've fought that hard fight and we've redefined safety in our organizations, then we can go and we can do that, right? We can bring in. Um, we can bring in a thought from Clive, right? A mm-hmm. researched-backed thought from Clive, or from 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 Todd, or from Sydney, or from Dave Proven, or from from any of these folks, right? And we can bring that into our organization. And say, here's the data, here's the science. This is what's coming out c- coming out from these folks, and we'd like to move in this direction. And here's why. And we're going to be able to bring that learning into our organization probably more successfully now that we actually have a value on learning rather than a value on compliance. Right. right. I think we've we've all done that or we've heard stories of that where it's like, oh, we brought in Decker, we brought in Conklin mm-hmm. and fell flat in its face. You know, we, yeah. and, and, and if the assumptions are wrong, it's never going to matter. Right. And I think that's a that's a really that's a great um, it's a great thing to bring up is that if you're at the, the assumptions are wrong mm-hmm. is a great way to say like you guys weren't ready. Yeah. You know, there's there's no person in the world that you could bring that will change the culture to the point where you're going to be willing to hear that message right. of, you know, abandoning zero. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the same. I mean, and that's, that's why I drive to the assumptions with the definition of, of the professional, the safety practitioner for the same reasons, because if the assumptions are wrong to begin with, we're always going to get a horrible defined role, mm-hmm. right? If, if the, if the assumptions around the practitioner is that the practitioner prevents bad things from happening, that's what's going to manifest in the, in the pointy end of the safety practice. Right, we're 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 going to see on the sharp end that okay, well, the safety practitioner walks around and prevents bad things from happening, right? But it still it all stems. The definition comes from somewhere. I think that's a really um, important fact that we have to accept when we start down the place of kind of trying to redefine the role. That the definition isn't really just something that we sit around and just wrote up one day because we've kind of already established the fact that. We kind of the organizations were too lazy to do that. The safety profession was too lazy to do that. Um, our the, the greater safety community is kind of too lazy to do that. We've never really sit down and really define what that role looks like. We just kind of go, well, based off of our current underlying assumptions about the professional practice of safety, here's this kind of shotgun against the wall of safety does safety and everything else. Catch all. Right. Back to junk drawer. <laughs> we're, we're back. We're back to the safety junk drawer. So I've been loving the home edit. Have you ever seen? Did you watch that at all? A little bit. Yeah. The home edit. Oh man, we need a, we need the home edit to go and 
clean out that safety junk drawer because there there is some things that needs to be you know i think there some of it like if you come in multifaceted you have a background in ems like why not you know why not use that you're 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 an asset but that shouldn't be a requirement for time immemorial of like hey we had one guy who was ems we thought it was yeah. You know, great. We could cut cost or whatever their rationale was, and now we need that. Well, even just down to understanding that every safety practitioner is unique, mm-hmm. right? I don't, I don't, I don't think that we've we've gotten so focused on thinking that every safety practitioner needs to be this irrechangeable brick in an organization. That well, it doesn't matter if you have safety practitioner here, here, and here. You should be able to move them around willy nilly, and they should all be able to do exactly the same things, right? And I don't know if that's that valuable or not, right? Because if really, and especially if you're in an organization where you have a, a you know, quote, safety team, right, it doesn't seem like you would want everyone knowledgeable in exactly the same thing. Right. It seems like you would want a diverse and a diverse team with all kinds of different different expertise, right? It seems like that would be the right call, right? I, I don't want an entire team that knows that just knows excavation, attrition, and nothing else, right? Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, that's not good at all. I think that uh, safety pros need to also understand if they want to work with a team or by themselves. Mm-hmm. I really think that that's something that yeah. we don't really think put, put a lot of thought into until we're in it. Yeah. Of like, man, this sucks working on this team or this sucks that I'm working by myself. I wish right. I had other people. I've done both. Yeah, same. And I prefer a team yeah. 100%. Um, 100% prefer a team. Like on site there with me, not like a remote team. Yeah. Like, But like a counterpart to bounce my ideas off of to just just somebody who speaks the same language as you. Like that is so much fun too yeah. to like come to work and be like, hey, what are you seeing? I mean, obviously, if that person's traditional safety and you're more like hot, then that's yeah. different. But still, you're going to have good good dialogue. You know, if that person's open and you're open to some, mm-hmm. you know, to some feedback and dialogue, I think yeah. it's a great opportunity to learn and grow. Yeah, for sure. I, exactly. I completely agree. I think that probably one of the first things and, and what I would encourage to happen even now, like right now, kind of with where we're at in kind of the practice the practice of professional safety um, is I think that folks, the safety practitioner really needs to sit down with the organization and help to define what that role looks like. I'm not saying that's a possibility in every organization, right? But that's a conversation that really needs to be had uh, between the safety departments or the safety professional, the lone wolf, if Mm -hmm. it might be a lone wolf, and really the organization as to what that actually looks like for that organization. Because either way, I think most practitioners and let I, I don't know I, I can speak from my experience you can probably speak to yours I can think about all the kind of conversations I have with safety practitioners every single day that I don't think any of us have a exactly well aligned definition between what we do as a practitioner and what our organization thinks of safety practitioner is yeah, I think I think we're way off uh, yeah. I think all of us are way off. I don't even think it's close. You're right. Yeah, I think it's a huge misalignment and with that misalignment comes um, strife all around Right. It sucks for us as a practitioner because all the many of the things that we were just talking about and it leads to burnout and stress and ultimately most of us either leaving the organization that we work for or fleeing the profession altogether. And then it leaves the organization guilty. Going, well, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And or the organization going, Well, this isn't what I think safety should be and then the, mm-hmm. the organization's left, you know, not so happy with, with the practice of professional safety. At least I think if we sit down and we have that conversation, you know, operating under the current assumptions. Yeah, there's probably going to be more compromise than what we would want currently, 
But at least we can start the conversation and we can start to come to some alignment, some level of alignment as to what the safety practitioner should actually be focused on in the organization. Right. I think that we have to start having that conversation. It's going to be unique. I really do believe it will be unique from organization to organization. But I do think kind of the backbone of that's going to be somehow centered around operational learning. So what does that look like to you? I mean, obviously, let's say real world, mm-hmm. you show up tomorrow and they start to say, Sam, okay, we'll start listening. Yeah. It's going to take time, obviously, sure. however yeah. long that takes. Yeah. But but what does that start to look like to you? Like if they start t- turning the tide, they're like, okay, we're open the dialogue, whereas before it was we don't have the money for that or yeah. or they would immediately discredit the claim of whatever unsafe yeah. act or yeah. condition, I should say. Um uh, it has existed forever, but we just kind of lived with it. Somehow, we've not been killed by that. Right, right. You know. So, do you, do you mean around safety in general, or the practice of safety? No, I'm talking about like like as a practitioner. Right. Um, you know, what does that look like if they're like Sam? We're open. Yeah. Or not even open. They they just give you the indication that they are. You know, do you start with the front line? Do you start with the front line leadership, uh, management? Well, I, th- I think I think if folks are open, I think, you know, we probably already started down the path of at least a little bit of buy-in. If leaders are already kind of confronting you and going, we're open with this kind of change towards, mm-hmm. you know, a move from maybe more traditional safety to doing safety better or a little different. Yeah, they, and, they, right? and they might not quite say it that way, but they could certainly, especially if you're putting stuff in yeah. front of them, like hop, hop yeah. ideologies, and you're, you're putting those... Uh, terms in front of them and they start yeah. using it in everyday speech and you're like okay well yeah and so I, th- I think that's probably a really good indicator is, is if we've if you really have the kind of hop principles some of the fundamentals embedded in your organization that's a really good sign right uh, and I don't mean that they're just there like plastered on the wall or leaders are there kind of ranting them down through their line because that's kind of the opposite direction of how you know the principles go they kind of go up through leadership not down towards the front end right um, I think if those are there, like just as an example, if we truly believe that error is normal, right? If we truly believe that, that blame and learning move in opposite directions, that blame really, if we really believe those things, then yeah, I think you're in a good position to start the wheels moving forward. I think a really good place to start with that is in and around the practice of learning teams, mm-hmm. obviously, right? And I, I say learning teams, but what I truly mean is operational learning in general, We've had that conversation a bit in the past about just different methods of operational learning that expand far beyond just a formal or informal learning team. There's lots of ways that you can learn. I think a learning team is just a a great example of that. But I think learning teams and just focusing in on operational learning, the practice, the actual practice, the actual go-do of facilitating operational learning is probably one of the first steps beyond kind of, okay – we, we want to go in this direction, mm-hmm. yes, as an organization. Okay, we've got some of the fundamentals. We, we, we believe these va- these are our values now, truly. Now I think we can move in the direction of operational learning. I, I, don't, I think that if we jump the gun too fast into operational learning or the actual facilitation of learning teams before we truly believe kind of the principles, it can backfire on us pretty quick because we'll say we'll kind of that, that same kind of topic we brought up earlier where somebody in that meeting um, gets some guts, right, and goes, well, if you think this is bad, mm-hmm. let me show you where I almost died. And then, then management has a conniption fit and fires a person for reporting the issue because that was one of the cardinal rules that they violated when they brought that up, right? Well, they should have been doing X, Y, Z, and they admitted to it, so we fired them, right? You can see kind of the backfire chain of events here that I'm <laughs> kind of laying out. So – that's where I would go. Fundamentals have to be in place. Those back to assumptions and values and all those things. 
those have to be right before we can really move forward. I think a lot of organizations find themselves wanting the tools and the process and the toys that come along with, we've seen it with behavior-based safety. It's a great example, right? Behavior-based safety was packaged and sold as, a, as, as you can say snake oil, but as an easy button, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of an easy button on top of a can of snake oil, right? <laughs> And it was that, right? And we, we've seen this kind of happen with, with with that in particular of here's your cards. Just go do observations. It's fine. Look at all this cool data, right? And we've seen that happen with um, as we've seen human performance, human performance improvement tools kind of move beyond the nuclear space and kind of into, I'll just say, general industry and generation, right? It kind of hopped around a generation and kind of pushed out into general industry. And rather than focusing on the correct introduction of those through fundamentals and value or underlying assumptions and values and all those things. We just said, here's a handy dandy book that has tools in it and air precursors <laughs> and air traps. Now don't make mistakes, yep. right? Now do your two minute drills and do them really good and you will prevent human error. Make sure you do through your communication. You'll right? be fine. You'll prevent human error when really if they would have backed up and had the fundamentals, they would know that you don't prevent human error. You only reduce it, right? <laughs> you only reduce the likelihood of human error. You never prevent it, right? So back to kind of the point of um, often organizations are hungry for something kind of back to the bright and shiny, the optics of it, that we want the card that has those stupid tools on it. We want the poster on the wall that says, here's the new principles of human and organizational performance. We want to throw out these cool things and call them learning teams and make big PowerPoint presentations to show to our executives about how we're, how we're a learning organization now. But no, really, we mean it now, right? And it's not like before. We, we, we're actually a learning organization now. But none of it really means anything unless all the underlying stuff is right before we get moving. Same thing with the profession of safety. Back, yeah. back, back to WTF <clears throat> Over, as a safety o- practitioner. <laughs> overall, it's 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 uh, you know the parallel I, I'll, I'll make is like exercise. You know, we want that infomercial as seen on TV yeah, product exactly. because everyone has it and it clearly gets results. Yeah. So we need to use it when really it's discipline. Yeah. You know, it's it's the discipline to say, no matter the event, we are going to lean on our learning. Yeah. We, we are going to focus on the fact that regardless of what happens, even if seemingly nothing is happening, there's still opportunity to learn and just stick to that what, constant, like, yeah. tenant. And even with that, I think it's it's important to bring up the the point of, you know, when nothing is happening, happening a lot is actually happening. I think well, it was Hollenagel, right? I think it was Eric Hollenagel that said that. Um, when nothing is happening, there's actually, in fact, a lot of stuff happening, right? So <laughs> it's organizations, back to the point of zero kind of being bogus, <laughs> Right. Um, even folks that I've heard it put this way, that when you when you achieve zero to kind of harp on zero some more, um, you still there's zero risk doesn't exist. Right. You're still at the same place that you were, even if you had z- if, even if you now achieve zero, nothing has really changed. Right? Nothing has changed. So, yeah. Yeah. To, to just just to throw that in there on that point that, you know, even when nothing is happening, there's actually a lot of stuff happening kind of in the background. You know what? You know what has happened that we talked about in the last podcast. We didn't talk about this one. You being a top ten influencer. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you really tried to avoid bringing that one back up again. We, we so these, you, you brought it up early in the first one, and so I was just trying to uh, skirt past it. So you yeah, didn't yeah. bring it back up. No, no. I so this 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 conversation. It's uh, we've had this same conversation over and over, and mm-hmm. you know, I think hundreds, thousands of people have heard you and everything that you've said. And it's great. 
It's great because yeah. I, I mean, your book, your book is what I always tell my wife was like, Sam, it's so weird. Like his book, he doesn't say anything that's like, holy shit. But everything yeah. you read, you're like, holy shit. Like yeah. that's, there's somebody else like me, you know, like he, he's, he doesn't say anything that's like groundbreaking or anything, yeah. but, but for the first time in your life, like you felt seen and you felt heard mm-hmm. as a safety pro and you saw that you're like, yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. And I think that's what this podcast does, man. So yeah. freaking congratulations. No, man, I, I appreciate it. Kind of, that was, it was a shock to me. To, what was the organization kinda, that had that list? That was um, HSE people. HSE. So they, they put out a list of the top 10 um, global health and safety influencers of 2020 in no particular order. Mm-hmm. There's just 10 of us. And they just kind of threw that out there. And it's uh, as we were kind of chatting in the, in the first podcast that everyone knows that I screwed up back to human air. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully this one recorded, <laughs> but, uh, no. but so they just kind of like did that. Like, you know, we, I was shocked by it. I think most people on that list were kind of shocked by it. It was just kind of like, Oh, that's awesome. Holy cow. That's awesome. Very, very cool, right? And for me, it was it's it was just kind of a little bit about what we were just talking about. Just the thought. Just for me, you know, stuff like that isn't super important to me. I think anybody that knows me knows that that stuff's not like super high on my list. I'm not like, I'm not like plotting to be whatever, right? I'm not plotting to be on any list. But for me, it's it's a little bit of... Of, of really kind drive of, a book sale so on that right? <laughs> God, no, <laughs> I'm no, just no. kidding yeah I, like I said I paid them handsomely to be on that list I'm, jo- <laughs> I'm joking that's a joke Somebody, somebody's going to hear that and take that snippet seriously <laughs> but no for me it's just kind of this this proof that pushing on that rock is doing something right trying to push that that boulder up the hill of trying to um, make the world a better place to work trying to make the safety profession suck a little less Trying to make the world a better place to work for safety people too, right? That that all of those kind of efforts are are kind of kind of doing something, right? To see a little bit of recognition from that is nice. Just to know that um, it, it's just that it's some proof that it's catching some traction, right? Right, which is which is good. That's 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 all that I can ask for is that it's that it's creating positive change, you know. Hopefully, creating some betterment in the world. Um, as for the book, yeah, you're exactly right. I think that that's what. That's what drove me to write kind of the BS of the safety profession that nobody tells you about. That's you know, what drove fun. me to write Safety Sucks was that because I'd had those experiences. And the more practitioners that I talked to, I was like, okay, well, all, all of us in utilities seem to have this common experience. And then stuff kind of started happening with the podcast and I started chatting with people more and more and more and more. And I kind of grew kind of these conversations and we, it would come up. Like from industries all over, any industry that you can imagine, we all kind of had the same Suck. Suck. And no one had taken the time to just admit that it sucked. So it wasn't even, like you said, it, it was never meant to be groundbreaking. It was just capturing something that we're all aware of that it seemed like our profession had stuck our head in the sand with for so long and just, just never acknowledged that it actually sucked. Right. And for me, I'm, I'm so big on this thing. Not, it's not a complaint. It's just, it's, it's a fact, right? We have to throw out the fact that something sucks before we can make it better. Mm-hmm. We can't keep pretending that it's just okay and then just live with it and hope that's that a, it gets That's better. a great point is if you never acknowledge how much it sucks, you're mm-hmm. never going to improve it. Just it just stays the that's, same. That's a great point. Yeah. And I think the 
still my favorite part is the professional organizations part of your book like that's <laughs> yeah. still my favorite part when i read that so those are things that sucked that i never re- realized sucked yeah and i think that's like one of my favorite things about the book yeah. is there's stuff that i'm like oh i didn't realize i go through that that crap too and it yeah. is crap and i i hate that part about my job yeah um, but I didn't know I disliked it. Right. You know, it's right. just because it's less on the priority list of things that really suck in my job. Um, you know, it's like, so to parallel back to the podcast, I don't mean to plug it again, but, no. um, that was the whole reason why I did it. I remember you telling me that story how about like, it was a voice that wasn't out there. You mm-hmm. know, just, you just put it out there. That's kind of the whole thing with mine. Yeah. Um, so you are an influencer, yeah. man. If, Good job. If not you, right. That's kind of the <laughs> point. I'm serious. If not you, right. If it's not out there, if you're not seeing, and for me, even starting, um, even when I started the hop nerd, right. For me, it was that when I didn't see myself in safety podcasts, right. I didn't see kind of, um, this, right. Whatever, whatever I am right. kind of represented. I got a lot of, well, 10 CFR uh, and then they kind of die <laughs> in their chair cause they're 150 years old, <laughs> you know, and that kind of general stuff of like, you know, podcasts that were like, well, if you just observe and enforce, and you do the ease of safety or something stupid like that, you know, you enforce and ingrain and enrich lives or something stupid. Right? Then you're like, uh, that sounds dumb, right? It's that, that kind of stuff. So it just, I did not hear that voice kind of in the profession when I started the podcast, the same point, you know, you said, you know, you didn't see that representation. You didn't hear your voice out there. Right. So why not you? Right. If you're not hearing it and you notice it's not there, you can now you have a responsibility to put it out there. Right. Right. That's well, <laughs> I, I think on on top of that too is like the the obligation now that you've started, but also mm-hmm. just the the feeling the the sickness. Like I I this is like a worst nightmare and I thankfully it can't mm-hmm. come true now is what if I sat on it and then somebody else did it. Right. You know, and <laughs> yeah. I like I would just feel yeah. sick to my stomach. And especially if they were like you know did a great job yeah and you're just like i could do a better job than yeah. that but then it's too late i mean it's not it's never too late but then you're just like you know, man i wasted so much time from the time yeah. i've been thinking about it you know thinking you know, about thinking about something is the worst thing you can do you just exactly. gotta sometimes you just gotta jump in and just do it well that's that's totally my personality to find right oh yeah there, 100%. because i cannot man like i'm I'm just that person that if it comes to mind and, and for some of that reason too right i'll, I'll gladly admit that i'm like Oh no! I'm gonna put the no. I'm doing this. It's my idea. This mm-hmm. is going out now. I'll have this done in like a week. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but that's good because again, it, it drives you to create those things, right? And for me, that's where I kind of land back with even just just this as we're talking safety, or even you know we're talking about the other podcast, really effing scary stories, or we're talking about native film talk, or any of the kind of stuff that we're kind of doing. Um, you know, for me at least, I look at it as like I'm, I want to create cool things that are helpful. Right, I want to create cool things, whether that's a podcast or a book or anything else. That mm-hmm. at the very least, somebody's going to find cool, right, and enjoyable. And we, you know, same thing with talking about safety podcasts. For some reason, we thought for so long that they couldn't be entertaining. Like, okay, Sam, right? I'm, Sam, I'm going to be a hundred percent honest. When you told me you were doing a safety podcast, I'm just like, what are you doing? That's like a death sentence. Yeah, well, safety you're going to get like ten listeners in podcast, and you're going. Oh, I thought the same thing. <laughs> well, and well, well, so so that was before I ever uh, like saw your setup and saw how like I mean, if you anyone ever gets a chance to come to Top Nerd, I think it's Pale Horse 
Co Studio now. Either and, whatever you want to call so it. So <laughs> come, come, come and come and sit here and like look at this setup. It is like professional, and you see it, and you're like, man, this can take off. This is like, and it did. It started. It's look. It started like any podcast. It started in a little corner in our house until it grew, outgrew the corner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. Just, what, it, what is just, it? What is your, um, what is your favorite thing about doing the podcast other than actually doing it? So for me, it's, yeah. it's um, getting to rant a little bit is always nice. Get this kind of cathartic experience of, that. of just ranting and kind of putting those ideas out there. Um, I don't know. I have a passion for calling out bullshit. It's just something that I enjoy, <laughs> right? I just, I, I don't know. I have, I have an affinity for, I'm a bloodhound for bullshit. I just kind of like to, like, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't mind that at all. I like, I like pointing out bullshit. I like pointing out, um, injustice might be too strong of a word, but pointing out things that just aren't right. Yeah, there's I, that like, safety cop in you. Right? I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but so, I mean, beyond kind of just the more selfish reasons, and this is still a selfish reason too, but I, I love the community. I love the conversations. Like I've grown friendships with folks that I've never met in person, right? I, mm-hmm. You know, I think about, Here's a huge shout out, and I shout them out as often as I can. Kind of my Brisbane safety fam and hop fam down there, you know. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, that's I, amazing. I, I, I'll, I'll tattle here a little bit, but I was uh, um, I got to hang out and was having having a, a quick call with uh, Tony McConaughey and Steve Harvey the other night, and just talking, just catching up and talking about stuff. And so, huge shout out to you guys, huge shout out. But just getting to catch up with those folks and just 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 we're just friends. You know, and just knowing that there's a community out there, kind of keeping in line with WTF as a safety practitioner, uh, there's a community out there of safety folks that want to make the practice of professional safety better. There's a huge community that I was uh, completely unaware of, right, until this. So if there's one thing that I have to say that I enjoy the most about this whole thing is those connections and growing kind of that, that, that little group of practitioners and and that's where I find myself um, kind of focusing on um, more than anything else is just trying to f- grow community a bit and trying to find other practitioners to kind of have these conversations with, even outside of the podcast, of just like, hey, safety, safety, let's let's talk, like let's let's help each other, like we don't have to do this thing alone, <laughs> you know. So that to me is the huge huge piece of it. I think that this. Uh the podcast kind of got me to see that you can do that yeah you don't have to go to the the annual big conference to get that you know you can actually just craft relationships through linkedin and talk to people and and realize how how open our profession really is to like express ideas and just hungry for knowledge if anything and and i won't i won't name names It's, it's obviously easy to figure things out um but if anything a lot of kind of back to the point of talking about some of the sucks of the profession and and professional organizations in general. If anything, it seems like a lot of safety pr- practitioner professional organizations are almost gatekeepers of status quo rather than being pioneers of the industry, right? You think that these large organizations would be kind of on the forefront of the evolution of the practitioner when really most large uh, safety professional organizations um, are really going, no, 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 no. Let's stay right here. We have a lot of vested interest in keeping things the way that we promoted them for the past 30 or 40 mm-hmm. years or however long we've been around. 
<laughs> we just need to keep membership up, not focus on those petty things like growing the safety profession in a better direction. Right. So it seems like a lot of the organizations actually tend to drive safety backwards more than they really start to bring it into kind of the modern times. And that's not all. It really just breeds inclusion. Sure. You know, like yeah. it, it like an exclusivity really right. is what I'm saying, not inclusion. It breeds exclusivity of like you're in the organization or you're not. Mm-hmm. How dare you not be in the organization? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a huge conversation or a huge but, fight but, amongst practitioners. But, you know, time. these like your Brisbane, your Brisbane buddies. And mm-hmm. I really think that that, you know, there's no organization tied no. to that. It's just no, people no. who listen right. to podcasts and just exactly. want to talk safety. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, and that's one thing that I'm, I'm proud to say that, you know, um, I'm not a member of any safety professional organization anymore. Same. Same. <laughs> you know, I, I, I gladly clicked my, my, I just did it the other day, like, do not auto renew click nice. <laughs> just because i'm like well what for <laughs> what uh, when you sit down and you go well the benefit that this brings me is um a goose egg we're back to zero <laughs> but, yeah. and i'm paying it's not a lot what? but i'm like well i don't know I'd, I'd rather donate this money to a charity than pay for a membership that means nothing to me mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> And if there's unforeseen value that I've just never capitalized on, please tell me yeah. how, you know, how, how I can maximize my membership. But I just never, I tried, you know. Yeah, and just, I've heard that. I've heard that from folks. And I hear, I get this same kind of, it's, it's almost like this cult kind of scripted line of like you get out of the organization what you put into the organization. And I've heard that from like 30 people when, when I, cause I had this conversation before about like, I'm canceling this membership mm-hmm. and I'm not saying who, I mean, anybody can figure that out. Um, but there's, there's several professional organizations. I, I'll gladly say I don't belong to any of them. Um, but I'm like, well, I just don't see it because I don't, it's just like, it's almost like this game for a lot of safety professionals of kind of back to the point of, you know, I'm in this exclusive group and if I fight hard enough, I can kind of work my way up through the leadership of this exclusive group. And then I can, it can be even that much more of an exclusive club for me. <laughs> and I can be, have it like on LinkedIn and stuff. And it'd be super cool to put on my LinkedIn headline and like, Kind of, it's almost like this kind of peacocking of safety you, professionals. You, like, you circumvented that. Look in, at this. Look at this. <laughs> well, you, you circumvented that entire process, and even though it was slow, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, seemingly slow. Like in a year and change, you amassed like a pretty good following into the point where you're designated as an influencer. Yeah. And the more important thing is you're pushing out content for people to hear. You're yeah. open to dialogue. You're open to feedback. Yeah. I think that's. I think we're we're talking about you know. WTF is a safety pro like that's what safety pros need to be is be yeah. willing to like take information and grow and you know like when I not to toot my own horn but six seven months ago when I when I came on no it was more than that it was pre-pandemic um you know my ideas on metrics got challenged mm-hmm. and I molded over I thought about it and now I'm like okay yeah why you know because I 100% believe now like what gets measured gets manipulated yeah. and who knows someone could sway me back the other way but sure. But yeah. right now, like I really think that with our thought processes aligned, we can mm-hmm. at least not align, but to a place we can agree on. Yeah. We can we can start on another thing to improve. Yeah. Well, I think that that's such a, a good point because I think that um, we get so ingrained in our current beliefs, and we're all guilty of this because mm-hmm. we're people. <laughs> <laughs> that it takes that challenge to sometimes push us outside of its comfort zone, right? Like right. I know this and this is right and I feel that this is right. And some of that even might even go into some of that religion v. safety territory. It just feels good. It's my personal beliefs. I'm, I'm into this, right? Um, but to really 
be a, a true, it's not even a practitioner, just to be good at anything, right? You should be always be open to learning. It should be a constant evolution and a constant right. growth throughout your life. And you're going to, for sure, it's going to, you'll ebb and flow, you move forward, you move backwards, and you'll find yourself, you know, learning and then kind of regressing and then kind of growing. And then you'll find yourself in a painful situation that will grow you even farther. And then you'll learn the easy way here and learn the hard way there. And, you know, you'll get a beating here and some calluses there and you'll learn and it'll get better. And you just figure that stuff out. You have folks that will change your mind and bring up valid points and folks that you go, well, that's dumb. I'm not listening to that. But it's that constant constant exercise and it's just growth constant mm-hmm. exercise and learning and to that point yeah the practitioner you know not only needs to be focused on organizational growth and learning but personal growth and learning as well 100 percent. yeah for sure for sure so what do you think i think we i think we we uh, think we went we everywhere i think, we, I think it, we i think we started on wtf as a safety professional i think we went down some rabbit holes that's expected it's always expected around these parts I think it helped uh, in terms of length of this podcast. This might be one of the shorter ones we've done. We yeah. normally go for like post two hours. <laughs> it certainly helped that we lost like the first thirty minutes of the first one. So the first one, like we got we got out most of the same information, but it was faster the second time, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which was kind of you know, like the real nice. twist. So let me let me ask you this before we wrap up: If you had to, and I'll put you on the spot here, if you had to put um, the definition of what a safety professional should be into some little blurb, in your opinion. Mm. What do you think that would be? I don't like this. <laughs> See, I had time to think about mine because I yeah. already knew what we were, <laughs> what we were talking about. <laughs> I, would, I would definitely assume, I really like your definition of a facilitator of learning. Mm-hmm. I think that you need to be, have the capacity to be a compliance consultant sure. i would say if, if you're not a compliance consultant in in any way when you enter the door you know at least be able to be resourceful mm. um i think you need to be willing i think you an expectation is that you reach out not for benchmarking but for um like resource and ideas and you should be encouraged to go do that i also think that a safety professional needs to be 100 percent what you said willing to learn and most important, willing to say, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I think the worst thing a safety pro can do is get in a position where they feel like they have to know an answer. Mm-mm. Because we certainly feel like that all the time when it's like safety guy, safety gal, safety person, what do we do? Yeah. You know, what, what what's the next step? And if you don't know, it's, it's okay. You know, they, even in the moment, you're like, God, they think I'm done. Especially when you're in that stage of your career where you have imposter syndrome. Mm. The worst feeling is to be that one that's like, well, one, I'm I'm young. They already think I'm stupid, and now I'm telling them I don't know. You know, I can't add to that list. Right. Um, so we feel obligated to say or do something, and we, you should never feel that. Yeah. I think the the definition really of a safety pro is always be willing to learn, always be willing to say I don't know, and just care about people. I think that's yeah. a, that's a qualification that we sometimes assume, but what you, what you said, going back to the assumptions, you really need to genuinely care about people, and if you don't. And maybe you should consider another career or evaluate why you're in this profession yeah. because you really need to be going to work every day thinking about, okay, what can I do to make their lives, their, their, their work lives better, but also just make coming to work suck a little less. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we align pretty closely on that. And that's, that's the only thing that I would say about compliance is for sure. I think that the compliance element is there. 
kind of as I mentioned earlier, I think I think a lot of it is almost like a reshuffling of the deck, right? That learning what currently is is almost viewed as kind of not the role of a safety professional, right? It's, yeah, if you could have like a mixing board of yeah, things, like yeah. learning is brought way down yeah, and compliance yeah. is pushed way, way up, like up. you. You need to readjust the weight. Behavioral modification <laughs> through observation and coaching is way high, you know, and go ask people to change their behaviors is way high, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of all those things that we think of with traditional safety are way high. And I think back to that point of that barring, you know, once once we get to the point of a shift in assumptions, a radical shift in assumptions around the definition of safety, we have the opportunity then to kind of move those knobs on the mixing board, right? We get to change the recipe a little bit. And, or, or a lot of it, really. And learning becomes way through the roof now, right? The facilitation of learning, to your point, kind of, I, I really like this kind of curiosity, this kind of conversation around the curiosity of work, right? How work actually occurs and how good things happen in that work. You know, that curiosity around operational intelligence becomes super high, you know. And compliance is there, but it's probably turned way down. It's, it's not the primary focus anymore. It's for sure there, Right. You know, all those kind of other bits and pieces that we think of kind of around the things that are it, it's really a shift. It's it's almost just a complete opposite <laughs> of where we're currently at. Right. We just kind of stand everything on its head. So, yeah, for me, I think that's I fall into a pretty similar definition of that where I think it's that it's it's a caring person, a curious person, someone that is just I, I don't know. Man, when I close, I'm not going to say close my eyes again. People driving are going to wrecking. Um, <laughs> my hippity dippity meditation stuff is coming through in the podcast. Closing my eyes and envisioning things. Um, but for me, it it a lot of it is kind of those things that the curiosity, the caring, um, just the bit about wanting to understand work because. For me, I'm a nerd for how work actually happens. I just find it just interesting. Some of it mind-blowing. I don't know if other safety professionals get this. I've been around heavy industry my entire life. Uh, you know, I've seen some amazing big things do amazing big things, right? I've seen gigantic things that shouldn't fly through the air, fly through the air and squeeze into <laughs> small spaces and move out of small spaces and not crush and kill people and destroy buildings and maim and all the kind of things that they should be doing, right? I've seen just really cool stuff, but I still go to work and I still go to sites. I still go to companies. I still go here and I still go there. And I look at work with amazement that people do those things every single day and they do it successfully. And I think that's freaking cool. Right. And I think that that's a really good place for a safety professional to start rather than going out and going, well, let's see what we can find that's wrong here. How about just walk out with just some amazement that that shit happens to begin with. Right. <laughs> right? And start from that place and then kind of go into your curiosity There's and then so- go into the idea of making things not suck. Ask them that famous question of what's the stupidest thing that you have to do every single day in the name of safety. <laughs> right. What's the stupidest thing you have to do every day to work here? Right. And again, just start by pursuing betterment. But you got to be curious, and you got to be compassionate, and you got to care about people. You got to be a nerd for work. You got to have kind of all those things. So when I think about the mixing pot that makes a, a, a really good safety professional, it's probably all those things, because those feel those that definition, you know, pretty well. I think even safety pros too. We need to stop thinking we can manage outcomes. Yeah, we exactly. really we 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 need a. I think we also place that burden on ourselves. And yeah. I don't know if that's because of the industry. Like that's what that's what's being dictated mm-hmm. to us. But I think we we need also need to free ourselves of that burden. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, that's all I've got, man. Thanks. I think we I think we hit Thanks it pretty lot, good. Sam. Ian, Allison, everybody. Thanks a lot, buddy. See ya.